Welcome into Reading, Writing, and Reason, a big podcast. You know that the Dr. Seuss issue has been major. Our guest was not was on once, twice with Sean Hannity talking about this, but there was something he talked about that I thought was more subtle and nuanced than on Sean's show that I wanted to get out. Uh, Professor Omekongo Dabinga, and Professor, you are primarily at American University. What do you teach there? What's your role there? I teach intercultural communication at American University, as well as several other classes, but that's the main course. Okay. Now, I heard you on with Leo, and, you know, you guys were getting into broader stuff, I guess, about race and all that. And and we may, uh, but I wanted to drill down on something I heard you say that was much more interesting than just the broader debate over Dr. Seuss, which now has reached eBay. You were talking about (laughs) the book. It, It came up, or you brought it up. They didn't follow up on Sneetches. And as I read the book, your complaint, and I'll let you put it in your own words, uh, was that Dr. Seuss's message is offered up as telling children to be colorblind, which I support, but you contended uh, that wasn't enough today. There was an issue with that, Professor, if I'm right. What was the issue? So the issue, uh, and thanks again for, for having me, and the issue that I brought up relating to the speeches was that Many of us have upheld that book as something that is great because it teaches the importance of not judging and being colorblind. But quite honestly, stating that you're colorblind is a problem within itself. And so what I was saying is that if somebody's saying that they are colorblind and they're refusing to see my race or your race, we all know that race is a social construct, but racism is real. And so when you see somebody to completely deny their entire experience because you don't want to see their quote-unquote color – when it's been proven that we can see color as young as three months old, I think it's problematic, and I think that's one of the points we missed with Dr. Seuss's book, The Sneetches. Okay, well, let's uh, talk about that, because I see this. Would you say this is akin in some way, Professor, to critical race theory? Well, I'm a support in terms of how we analyze these things. I think well, it's or, the critical I mean, the, the, race theory lens. Yeah, that, that's, it's, that's yes. kind of where we're going with it. All right, I'll give you my objection. Now, we both have different experiences. I'm, I'm not sure of yours. You only know me for a few minutes or that we've been tracking you down since we heard these interviews. <laughs> uh, but I am white, grew up in South Philly, which was a middle to lower middle class uh, neighborhood. But I've been in diverse surroundings all my life. Philadelphia even then was. And I'm raising that because I look at individual, and if I had, I'm being critical now, if I had, I don't see this as group identity as the way to move forward. And as I understand critical race theory, and your criticism also of the Sneetches, uh, saying kids be colorblind, treat the person as an individual, not only is that not good enough if I'm hearing you right, but it's problematic rather than just not at the highest level. Is that right? Yes, indeed, it's problematic, because the problem that we have is that, you know, you can talk about your experiences, I can talk about my experiences, but the challenge is that we need to look at these issues from a systemic level and how society has treated groups. I do a lot of work in schools. I work in public schools, private schools, and charter schools on this issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and so many times people say, well, it's sort of like with what Leo Terrell did, well, I didn't have these problems, but systemically, when you look at the challenges that our schools face, it doesn't matter what you or I experience individually. Systemically, there's a problem in our schools as it relates to uh, curriculum that doesn't teach uh, and it, the, the experiences of, of non-white people accurately or doesn't give enough of it as, as it relates to the academic sources. 
And then furthermore, we have teachers who, many of whom are not able to teach culturally relevant instruction because they don't understand the backgrounds of the students in front of them, which leads to more issues in discipline in terms of access to APs and honor classes and the like, as well as increases in suspensions and expulsion. That's a problem. Okay, and I'd like to have you back. I just wanted to clarify that I'm savvy to what you were saying there, and I'm sad that it got dwarfed into something more mundane. I'd like to have you back to talk about that part. But let me bring back to Dr. Seuss. That's still the hot thing of the moment now that we've clarified everything and ask, how in the world then, give me your critique, your criticism. I see one, you don't like this book with Dr. Seuss. And you think that Dr. Seuss, what, uh, children that were black or brown would not have any value there for them? What's your overall critique of Dr. Seuss? So my overall critique was, was one, I don't believe, first of all, I don't believe in cancel culture. And I believe that what Dr. Seuss, the foundation did was they took their own action on books that they own and decided to remove several of the books that they felt were harmful. I grew up reading Dr. Seuss books. I, as Leo was saying towards the end, I have three children and they have read Dr. Seuss books. Uh, my kid was watching Dr. Seuss books or uh, a cartoon earlier this week. So my issue is when you know better, you should do better. And I'm just learning a lot about Dr. Seuss's history now. So what am I doing? Am I burning Dr. Seuss books? No, I'm making sure my older kids, my 14 and 12 year olds, that we're having conversations about the entire history. Like, I didn't know that The Cat in the Hat was based off of minstrel shows from the Jim Crow era. That's something that I think my kids need to know. My six-year-old, I'm not having that conversation with him yet. We're enjoying the shows, we're reading the books, doing the rhyming and all of that other type of stuff, and we'll have a conversation about it later. So that's how I see it. I feel like we should know the total history of the authors that we're sharing with people. I didn't. When you know better, you do better. And furthermore, I think that there are also other great books and new authors that we should also be introducing into uh, to our children's lives. All right, let's unpack some of that. Uh, some of that I agree with, certainly. But I wanted to go back to some of this critique of um, uh, Dr. Seuss, and you're not banning. But mm-hmm. again, I wanted to underline the issue I have is, yes, they gave up the six books, uh, Doctor. It's not the government knocking them out. It is cancel culture, though, because the pressure was unrelenting. And you're probably aware, right, that eBay has banned trading, selling back and forth Dr. Seuss books, and yet they still have Minister Farrakhan, they have the Communist Manifesto, they have Hitler books. That's cancel culture when eBay won't let you. Uh, these books are, are not going to be in print or they're going to be hard to get. Do you agree that's cancel culture? Well, I'm just, to be honest, I'm just learning about the eBay uh, decision okay. from you right now. So that's something that I need to look into a little bit more. I'm not denying what you're saying. I just need to learn a little bit more about it. But I was speaking specifically of what the foundation decided to do, right? And really when it comes down to it, when you look at Dr. Seuss's history, I mean, he has a history of racist imagery and advertisements towards black people, towards Asians, towards Jewish, towards Muslim people. Some of them made it into his books, some his kids' books. Some of it continued after he was a, a popular child's author. And that has to be reconciled. And so I understand that people want to make these books bestsellers and the like, but where's the real conversation going to come in about learning about these things? We can't have credit card activism because that just leads to us being in more deeper intellectual debt. And that's All where right, my that's problem is. Fair enough. Now let's go back in the history because I have debated this before when it first started to come up and see where the objections are. The first thing I look at is I look at a person during their time 
to see if they were at the standard, were they better or worse? And I look at the evolution of Dr. Seuss. And for example, uh, you're probably aware of this, but I've told listeners this one. Dr. Seuss is criticized for the really horrific uh, cartoons he used as propaganda to defeat the Japanese Imperial Army. I support him in that, given the times, given what we're up against. He also was in favor of the Japanese internment camps. I'm not. But Dr. Seuss is singled out. FDR is the one that ordered those camps. And yet it seems, here, here's the doctor, what I'd say listeners would tell you, that uh, certain people are bypassed. I'm not saying you are, but that's the complaint mm-hmm. where others we seize upon. And some people on the left are trying to drive Dr. Seuss out of the marketplace. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And so as we unpack that a little bit more, well, first of all, when I think about Japanese internment camps, I think about George Takei, the activist who was actually in those camps, who called them American internment camps of Japanese people. I think it's a different type of language. But when I think about cartoons, cartoons to me are the first point of entry as it relates to how we dehumanize people. If we can get kids laughing at the way a certain group is depicted, then we can start introducing works into the curriculum that depict these guys a certain way. Then from curriculum, we move to policy, and then from policy, we move to internment camps and Jim Crow and segregation and the like. When people feel comfortable dehumanizing people, it's easier to separate them and put them in harsh conditions. But I also want to go to your point about signs at a time where this was their time. During all of these times where we talk about racism, slavery, Holocaust, or whatever, there were always white people who fought against these things during those times. Some put their jobs on the line. Some actually lost their lives. In Viola Luoso, for example, uh, people, so we can't just say that this was just part of the time because before we know it, we start becoming apologists for slavery. And at every point in time, there were always white activists who are out there fighting. All right, I'll, I'll explain, I'll explain my well. point. I know your point exactly, but we have schools wanting to take Abraham Lincoln off the school Let's start at that baseline. That's how preposterous it is, doctor, that Abraham Lincoln, 13th Amendment. Yeah, there were some issues around Native Americans that are a bit unclear, but this is how far it goes. I don't mean let's put something crazy in their times. I'm saying when I look at Dr. Seuss, though, I see somebody in their times around the Japanese in World War II and what it was like. I think he was patriotic to do these cartoons. You differ. I I definitely disagree because, number one, we had Japanese-Americans here in this country, and they were part of America, and they were depicted horribly because Japanese-Americans look like Japanese people in Japan. So I don't think that it was patriotic. And then as it relates to, like, getting rid of Lincoln and the like, I definitely do not go to the extreme. I believe that, personally, I believe that nothing should be canceled. I believe that everything should be studied. I believe that, I, for example, I don't believe that we should be naming schools after Confederate soldiers, but I don't think that we should not study Confederate history and understand that. I believe that things have their proper places in books and museums and the like. That's where I stand. So I am not a proponent of many of the extreme measures that pe- some people have been taking about removing everybody from books, removing people from the conversation. We need to find a middle ground as it relates to that. And I All think right, that's me, what the me, Dr. Me, Dr. Me Foundation is doing to one of the two or three most identified, the cat in the hat. And I've seen this minstrel show comment. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. But all I know is when kids are dealing with that book and when NBA players and mayors and others put the hat on to have some fun kids around reading, 
I, I don't think there's even a hint of minstrel show or anything connected with that. So rather than some vague, maybe vague, historical inspiration for Dr. Seuss, should we not take that book in what the clear impact of it is? I don't see any way that could be seen as a minstrel show today. Well, to me, it's not about what it can be seen as today. To me, it's about knowing the history. And if people choose, still choose to support things like the Cat in the Hat and know the history, they choose, they choose to do that. We have a lot of language that we use today that people may consider a term of endearment that has negative roots historically, and people don't know the history. I'm a proponent of people knowing the history and making informed decisions. And yes, it's true that people may see the cat in the hat and not realize that they're watching a new millennium minstrel show. Like I said, I didn't even know that. But my point is, when you know better, you should do better. And am I sitting here saying to you today that we should cancel cat in the hat? I'm not saying that. I am saying that we should have informed decisions about the historical context of the things that we watch. That's what I'm doing with my kids okay. when well, I feel like they're of age. And that's, that's fair enough, like but we, 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 both know, we both know, and look, you're a scholar in this. I'm only a scholar in talk radio slash I'm a former teacher. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the debate over, I, I just think some of this stuff, you know how people get published more than I do. You have a doctorate. Uh, I only have a master's degree. And I know what happens. You've got to be flashy. You've got to come up with something. You've got to pretend you discovered it. Uh, parting area for you, just, just to see what you think. I, I think the greatest American novel is Huckleberry Finn, for example, in this conversation. And to me, it's clear what Mark Twain was up to, that Jim was seen as a man by Huck Finn by the end, the evolution of it. And I'm sensitive to this stuff. And I realize I haven't taught in a high school for a while, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, reading some of that out loud would be very dicey. But do you ever thought on something like Huckleberry Finn, which essentially has been exercised from American schools, even though that theme and the evolution of it, I think, is very, very timely? I'm so glad you brought that up. And it speaks directly to what I was saying earlier. I believe that books like that should be taught with context. Let me give you an example. One of my students at American University was telling me about reading, you know, Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer or one of those books. And she said, this is a black student. She said, when it got to the, to read the, the term, the N-word in the class, the white teacher would turn to her and make her say it. What? Right? Oh. Exactly. And, yeah. or, you know, or, or, and, I, and I got countless examples of things like that from my students when I bring this up. So the problem is, you know, our educators need more context. Our parents need more context. I got, I know some schools where they did, they, they introduced the, the TV show, the episode of Blackish to talk about their, their N word episode as a discussion point to start talking about the N word. This is what my problem is. It's not the literature because like you said, those are part of the time. It's do we have educators? Do we have a society smart enough to be able to teach people about that context? And I am not seeing that happen on a consistent basis, and that's where my problem is. Okay, well, doctor, thank you so much. I'm very, very heartened versus the discussion that I heard that degenerated, in my view, uh, and we'd like to have you back. I would like to talk about critical race theory at a time that's convenient down the road uh, with you, but uh, I, I am solidly in the camp of looking at individuals. I'm not saying, you're, you're not saying that also, but there's that blend with group identity there, and that is something that, for me, has is, is gone a little bit too far in this. We're in different camps in that a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more concerned with systems versus individuals, and that's where I put much of my emphasis on. All right. Well, doctor, please come back, and thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.